Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, February 26th, and I am joined on a brand new virtual screen, Mm -hmm. as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? Not that much has changed. I'm still using the webcam, so you're still seeing the same image and still using the same mic, so you're still hearing the same voice, but the hardware it's going into has been souped up a bit, which I am very happy and excited about. Uh, other than that, not too much going on. As I was saying to you before the break, I feel like I caught more idle sports, like sports that I didn't have pegged to watch like far in advance, just had nothing to do and had that urge to throw it on maybe something about the time of the season. Uh, so I'm excited about this podcast. But before we get into that, how are you doing? I did as well. Uh, so I'm feeling great. I I caught idle sports. Um, had the weekend to myself, so went to the gym a couple times, uh, went for a nice long walk out in nature, which is something mm. I don't need to do very often, uh, bought a couple books, did some reading, wow. you know, just like full decompress weekend, because I'm not going to have one of those for another month <laughs> or so now at this point. So oh. yeah, just was able to catch more sports than I have probably in the last five, six months. So felt really good. And I'm, I'm ready to go today. Sweet. Well, we, I say we, I really mean I cut us off with about a minute to talk hockey last episode. So I think we've got it slotted at the front here. Three game winning streak. You can kind of justify that treatment. A seven game winning streak for the Toronto Maple Leafs, saving their best for most recent with a hockey night in Canada. 4-3 win over the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, I chose a great game to choose in or to randomly tune in. Oh, but just a fantastic win, I thought. Yeah, and it it is the perfect game to tune into, right? Uh, Leafs, looking to extend their win streak to the longest of the Austin Matthews era. This is the best they've played all season going into a marquee matchup against one of the best teams in the league with a matchup between two of the top five stars in the league as well. So it was easy to have this one down on paper as the must watch game. Uh, Too bad if you weren't a Leafs or Avalanche fan, you couldn't really watch this because NHL Network picked this one as like their blacked out pay for this game game. Mm -hmm. Um, So we won't get into that, but good job, NHL. You continue to terribly promote your product to the general public. But on the game, Leafs coming in hot, right? We talked about Bobby McMahon. We talked about Austin Matthews. Mitch Marner, underratedly, has been really hot the last six games as well. And this new line shift up that they went with for the Vegas game, they come back to it, and and it continues to produce some exciting play. Uh, I, I really liked all four lines, one through four, that have played, whether that's Matthews Nismarner, which hasn't changed too much at all this season. But then you basically have an interchangeable second, third line that is driven by two of the other core four members, right? William Nylander with Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi is not a line that we thought we'd see a lot of this year. And they have a, a nice bit of sandpaper as well as style and, and Swedish finish, right? With with Nylander on it. And then uh the John Tavares with two rookies line. <laughs> no one thought we'd see that either, but it, it pairs a 
slower afoot, more responsible, smart, savvy, veteran player with two guys who are working their butts off. They're quick and they want to prove themselves. And and that was an awesome line in the Vegas game and, and got a bit of run in the Arizona game as well. And John Tavares scored uh, as many goals as he had in the month prior. So really exciting stuff from those lines. And to cap it all off, I think the second best line in this game on Saturday was the fourth line. They wow. were the only line that consistently got pucks in deep, had offensive sustained zone time because it felt like the majority of the game was if the fourth line wasn't hemming in Colorado's other fourth line, Colorado had most of the run of play uh, and the Leafs benefited from um, two power plays and and that kind of sealed the deal for them. But uh, yeah, really, really exciting matchup. Felt like a playoff game, uh, not only with the atmosphere, but every time Nathan McKinnon touched the ice, I sweated beads that uh, are typically reserved for the likes of Brad Marchand, Steven Stamkos, <laughs> Nikita Kucherov, uh, Matthew Kachuk, right? So um, it, it was that type of feel in the game on Saturday. And, and uh, those are the games that you just love to win as a fan. Yeah. Um, a really tough first period where Colorado showed off why they're one of the best teams in the league. But I was so happy with how the Leafs responded in the second third. I thought they did a great job of taking away some space and time from McKinnon, not letting him accelerate on his own terms. And I, I loved the determination and hustle, even though you felt that push coming from Colorado. And I thought they lost their feet in those first minutes of the third. And that was a shot Samsonov really should have. Uh, just a wrister from the top without too, too much screening going on. Uh, I loved the grit and just that the Leafs didn't let it spiral, didn't let it escalate from there. I thought they'd built a lot of positives in that second period. And to circle back to your comment about the fourth line, I think uh, a shift, a really grindy offensive possession shift from there started some momentum that ended in the puck over glass power play uh, penalty that got the Leafs the power play that won the game so love to see that I I, I mean Sheldon Keefe is never gonna have static lines for more than 5 10 15 games at a time so I try not to get too attached or too invested in any current iteration of the team but I do like spreading it out and maybe Tavares in this later stage of his career you're not losing that much offense on the second line but you are maybe bolstering the defense of that third line and evening it out a little more and most importantly I think they're peaking at the right time in the season uh, it, it's really not been a matter of if but when when it comes to the playoffs these last few years as a Leafs fan and this is the first season I can remember in three four where you are wondering 60 games in, it doesn't feel like that slam dunk guarantee yet. Uh, and maybe that's a good thing. Like maybe having to be a little more on your toes, fighting for it, a little more skin in the game at this point of the season uh, gets the performance and the mentality ramped up where you want it come playoff time. Uh, so yeah, I loved everything that I saw from the Leafs. Yeah, you better hope they keep it going because... Boston can't seem to lose, or if they do, if it's in overtime, Florida can't seem to lose. And sneaky now, Detroit can't seem to lose. They yeah. are hot on the Leafs' mm -hmm. tail. I think they're only four points back. Leafs have a game in hand. But 
uh, but yeah, the, the top four in this Atlantic division are looking very, very strong. And so the Leafs are going to have to keep this rolling. Seven game win streak apparently is not enough. No, it doesn't look like it in the standings. I mean, it puts them within reach of a run taking to that them to that top echelon. The one thing I'll say is neither the Panthers nor the Bruins have the division totally locked up and ran away with like the Bruins did last season where you knew you couldn't compete. But I feel like at this point with the Leafs, the first round curse is broken. Like this is a team that has the potential to beat any other team in the league in a playoff series. And that's the level they're going to need to reach if they want to bring the cup home. So I'm more indifferent this year to the seeding and who we face in the first round than I think I have been other years. Uh, And yeah, it, I mean, the lightning struggling, um, a centipede dies and still stays standing for a long time. They're in the playoff mix, but they could miss it. The Metro division looking pretty weak. So it's starting to iron up, but it's a good odd point that seven games in and they're not that much closer to the top and not that far away from the bottom. Yeah, they've separated themselves from the ninth place in the Eastern Conference, like they're pretty uh, solidly in a playoff spot. But like you said, it's it's a matter of who. And when you look up at Florida and Boston, is that are those really the teams we'd play as opposed to maybe jumping down, getting the Rangers and getting to go yeah, on the other side? You, you of the can bracket. argue that first wild card is better than third in the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. Murderers row on that side, as it is every year, though, right? And Yeah, nothing I mean, new. You have to slay dragons. So, it, it, yeah, uh, the I feel like there's a confidence that's built, even if it's 5% in Leafs fans, that we've now recognized, like, hey, we actually can win a series, believe it or not. Yeah. So it's not, don't necessarily worry as much as who's in front of you. You just, it's the playoffs. The playoffs are mm-hmm. playoffs. Yeah. I just want to give a shout out to Tyler Bertuzzi for scoring a hat trick on his yeah. birthday. Um, signifies and caps off a great string of depth scoring we've seen over the last stretch where they've had this win streak, and that's what they're going to need going into the playoffs. Um, he was due for it, and so yeah, just thrilled that he can do that. And the the boys got to get things going again tonight as they got Vegas coming to town. Mm-hmm. So they're finally home. Can't let your foot off the gas and and go out and get another two points. I don't think we've remarked on it yet, but this is an insane scoring year across the NHL. Um, Like we are breaking 2000s records here. Uh, So many players have already guaranteed a point per game, 82 point uh, threshold. Like it has just been electric. I was looking through the stats the other day and just kind of doing double takes and trying to remember or like just think like what these numbers were equal to 10 years ago. Like I remember 30 goals used to be exciting and it almost seems commonplace this year. Mm, yeah. Although it's still not quite the 80s, but yeah, I think no, more that's... scoring is is more entertaining for the fans. And so um, as much as the NHL tries to hold it back, the, the product is is promoting itself. <laughs> uh, okay, speaking of fun, exciting storylines in the NHL, something I didn't have in my notes, but I wanted to talk about before I move on here. Uh, Max, have you heard of a Matt Rempe of the New York Rangers? No. 
Okay, this kid, 20 years old or 21 years old, six foot seven, 240 pounds. Oh my God. Playing his first week in the league. Oh my He's God. He's already got three fights and more penalty minutes than time spent on ice. Jeez. Okay. Uh, an absolute animal, but would say he's probably one and two in his three fights. Because uh, as as large of a mutant that he is, and um, a, a a game penalty match penalty given in his first game when he hit, I, I can't remember who it was from behind in the outdoor game, but uh, he. Once he had beat up Sharon Govich of the Devils, he then had to face Delorier and and Olivier uh, of of Philadelphia and Columbus. And those smaller guys are savvier and have yeah. been around the block, and they kind of beat the brakes off the kid. Huh. So uh, I was talking to my dad. He's saying he's worried about the longevity of a Matt Rempe if mm. he's going to continue to do this every game. Even the great enforcers of past generations did not fight every game, and so. You obviously see him trying to make a name for himself, and he'll yeah. learn plenty from the fights that he's already been in. But uh, could be a problem here for the Rangers to, who are already the top of their division, to add a six-seven monster that they can just sick on teams from time to time. It, he he'll definitely play, be playing game one on the fourth line of their playoff series. Whoever <laughs> nice little wild card in your belt. Wow. Yeah, so I just had to mention him because he's been having a couple great tilts bringing back uh, uh, vintage hockey. All right, we'll leave talking hockey, and we've got a little bit of combat corner up next. You mentioned some stuff you don't normally get to take in. You took in this weekend, and what do you got for us on uh, on the fights this past weekend? Well, we just finished talking about Ilya Toporia and the featherweight division, so that had my ears still perked up uh, vaguely in the MMA space. Uh, and Brian Ortega was taking on Yair Rodriguez in a five-round co-main event with no belts on the line, which I think might be the first time I've ever seen that, which I have no complaints about. Uh, so that, I'll, I'll circle back to this, but ostentatiously, that's for the featherweight uh, challenger position. These two having fought once before, Ortega like lost the first round due to a shoulder injury. And that kind of spring-shotted Rodriguez into his title shot chance, or at least for the interim. Anyway, this time around, Ortega came out really aggressively trying to take the space uh, and time away from Rodriguez to kick. And he ended up uh, charging himself into a flush straight hand that Rodriguez almost capitalized on and finished. He was on top of Ortega, chasing the ground and pound for the better part of that first round uh but just towards the end ortega was able to get back to his feet get a trip and get on top uh just to give himself that little boost of confidence that he is in this fight and does have a couple different paths he went right back to that in the second round uh kind of muscling for the takedown uh, after a couple of trips and single leg attempts didn't work i'm uh, just going for the lift up power double leg throw uh, rodriguez locked him up in his guard where he stayed for the majority of that round and I think got kind of complacent because then right back to it in the third round, Ortega again just looked a bit stronger in the clinch and able to muscle through some positions, but he got himself to a really lovely sneaky trip uh, that he was able to get right into full mount from. And then I think that 
five, almost five minutes with Ortega and his guard just caused too much complacency for Rodriguez because he gets sloppy for about five seconds and Ortega was able to lock up an arm triangle and uh, cinch it right at the start of the third round. So a crazy comeback from how rocked he was in that first round shows toughness. Uh, he was definitely landing with that ing- aggressiveness on the feet, um, so sh- shows some smartness in the game planning. Um, but it's his first win since like 2021 or something. Uh, and it's against the guy who got the last title shot. So this is that thing where the UFC just keeps floating and circulating the same top guys around. I, I think one win this recently, especially when you do get hurt. And with Rodriguez, like it, it was the same with Volkanovski. Like there was just a level, the foot, the striking wasn't able to damage too much. And there was just an amount of being outclassed. Uh, if guys are lower like missing some things in their game rodriguez can light them up at a certain level i think he just doesn't have it on the ground volkanovsky showed that ortega showed that and i think it kind of diminishes the case for a title shot just off of beating him i do want to keep the spotlight on the ufc in the coming weeks because that lawsuit antitrust that we touched on i think at the inception of the pod oh is I think going to proceed to trial on April 15th. So I'm excited to dive back into that over the coming weeks and be ready to follow it as it unfolds. Uh, But for now, we can move on to basketball storylines. One more seven game win streak we can sort of talk about here in the notes. Hmm. Yeah, well, one that existed and then came to an end last night, but uh, Mm -hmm. yesterday, but um yeah a couple notable games over the over the past weekend uh the bucks getting a win over the timberwolves and they're they're starting to turn things around after doc rivers came on and they they started slow and he had all those excuses that we kind of held our tongues so far but i I was waiting to see after the all-star break and so far i'm gonna keep holding my tongue yeah the Clippers have scuffled a little bit as of late. Um, Westbrook had a really tough time against the Oklahoma City Thunder the other day, and uh, they just seemed to pull away. It was kind of surprising how the Clippers just could not hang in that game. Um, little playoff-style adjustment from Mark Dagnall, taking uh, taking Josh Giddy out in favor of Isaiah Joe, and that extra spacing really helped the Thunder seal things, and, and Chet Holmgren just still such a presence around the rim. Um, despite him probably in second place now in the rookie of the year, uh, mm-hmm. if we, we haven't done our recent, uh, Wemby check-in, but yeah. he did have a triple double with blocks against the Raptors and, uh, no one seems to go near the rim anymore when he's out there. He had another five last night, uh, in, in San Antonio's loss to Utah, but he just does things where you scratch your head. It's, it's a completely different experience. Um, sorry, I'm all over the place. We'll get back to the Dallas Mavericks, who kind of shut me and some of the other critics up after their deadline moves. Uh, undefeated since those trades, seven and zero, nice little win streak. Uh, most notably with a convincing win over Devin Booker and Kevin Durant in the Suns, um, and then came into Indiana yesterday and got run out of the building, and kind of brought back some or instilled some new fears that Mavericks fans didn't necessarily know that they had in this team. Uh, one that typically is near the 
lower end of pace, right? With when you have Luka Doncic on your team, he likes to puppeteer and pull teams apart and Indiana spread Dallas out on the other side of things. And PJ Washington, however great he was holding up against some bigger defenders or uh the notable one he was playing against was Kevin Durant, who has never been the most explosive blow by you player in the league. Um he really struggled against quicker guys. And I think Dallas, if they're end up in a matchup with let's say OKC or the Clippers um or the Golden State Warriors that that could be something that they have trouble against and something we weren't necessarily expecting and people got high on the trade after and then this game exposed some of the weaknesses that that they still own as a team really switch heavy defense uh that just leaves them scrambling and a couple chinks. And I thought Miles Turner was just able to find that chink on almost every play. Uh, a lot of really free and easy shots near the top of the mid-range post. A uh, couple of threes as well. I think that pick and pop action uh, destroyed their switch heavy defense, uh, which would be a massive worry if you run into a Jokic especially. Um, but the Timberwolves could wreak havoc with that even like a Sabonis on the Kings and the defense looks exploitable for sure Kyrie also a little less than the red hot electric he'd been in those first seven games um when Luca's off and he's the one running the offense it feels like the team gets a little less involved and it's more 50 50 one-on-one shots uh, compared to Luca's gravity which really just opens the floor and seems to almost always generate an open shot or a cut to the rim man it's funny you say that because even Luca, like it's a lot of standing and watching right he'll isolate and then you know the ball is probably going to come to you on a on a double team or something like that but i mean there's not too much movement that happens from those other guys on no no it's just the gravity like they're mostly happy to let their guys play one-on-one with Kyrie, and which is like something you wouldn't have said three years ago yeah and and he can still work some magic and like find those crazy layups and like pop mid-range but it's a little less lethal than luca and uh, the free open threes uh less there when Mm -hmm he's off the floor and then a couple of those ones that luca generated for him when he was the on i thought didn't go down they had a chance to make it a game and then the kings really blew it up in the fourth so maybe not like as cat maybe not run out of the building convincingly um, but they ran out of steam for sure in that fourth quarter so something to keep our eye on for sure as we we keep moving through uh the season here and towards the playoffs the toronto raptors with a mini two-game win streak in <laughs> against key opponents, if they're trying to make it up to the play-in, are uh, they? Brooklyn I, I, and I Atlanta. Thought we were, I thought we were trying to grab that the top six there's, protected. There's enough pick. talent on this team to grab the tenth spot in the East, especially oh. with Trey Young going out for four weeks with an injury um, this past weekend. That that makes me so much sadder to have lost. You know what? And OG. I, I I was talking about this with someone today at work. I think. I actually would prefer my team to just win. It's nice to have a team win and hope for something. It's so miserable. Like I turned off half of the games this season because it's so miserable just watching them lose. And I understand yeah. the point of it. Um, and they should lose to do what's best for the organization. But it's just more fun to watch when they're trying to win. 
Yeah. And and that's what they did against Atlanta, getting a good good reps in a tightly contested game. It's really some of the first stretch where Scotty Barnes is the number one ball handler in late game scenarios. We haven't got to see him do that too much because there was a Pascal, there was an OG, right? There was a Gary Trent Jr. with a greater role. There was a Fred Van Vliet was was a big one and so he had some great plays down the stretch some more turnovers than i would have liked to see in that game overall but a big moment with kelly olenic making a crazy late bank shot and then they go pretty small late taking pertle out of the lineup so that they can really space the floor and um, emmanuel quickly had a phenomenal game especially first half he's shown shades of potential of like a Tyrese Maxey potentially like there's a okay. lot of similarities in their game I, I said flashes not not comparing the two yet um and then Oche Agbaji his thing is he's just gotta make open shots right 32 percent three-point shooter um hasn't done it yet in Utah but has all the tools to to be a great contributor on this team and made a couple key threes that helped them and him and Grady Dick are going to be fighting for a lot of the minutes same College program, same team, uh, same similarities in their games. One of them's probably more of a creator, and one of them's probably a little bit more of a defender. But uh, I like the the fit of the Raptors team. I don't think their ceiling is very high, uh, but it would be fun to have them play in like a one game high stakes matchup because mm-hmm. because you never know. Um, so yeah, they I think they have a chance to chase down Brooklyn, Atlanta here uh, as we get down towards the final final stretch. And then the last game I watched here, the Nuggets Warriors, always a fun oh. time to, to catch these two teams, two of the most exciting players to watch in the league in Jokic and Steph. And then at the end of the game, I realized how one-sided it's truly been. <laughs> Denver yeah. has won 10 of the last 11 meetings of these two teams. And I tuned in kind of middle of the third quarter and, and saw exactly the reason why. When Steph goes out versus when Jokic goes out right now, one team still has something. The Warriors have nothing. I'm surprised how much they really hung in during those Stephless minutes in this game. Like they didn't fall behind by too much, but it was puts in. It was Draymond Green without someone to kind of run around screens with, and if Clay Thompson's not being game six clay then he can't create the same way he used to be able to create and obviously they don't have chris paul right now which will help them in these minutes but it yeah just felt like a lot of contested threes um dario sarge was trying to create in the post at one point and just got picked by aaron gordon so easily like just really struggled on offense and while it didn't come through in fruition in this game for denver you could just see like Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray out there on the floor versus the other teams. Like as long as they're playing two or three of their starters at any time, they're gonna create shots. And then the second Steph and Jokic come back in the game at the same time, it's over. And and I love Steph and he's great, but he went one for ten last night. And the Nuggets have a lot of great personnel to handle him. And I felt the Warrior sets, as difficult as they are to defend for a lot of teams, kind of felt stagnant. They were running a lot of off-screen switching, and KCP and Christian Brown were handing off. And then they were handing off to Peyton Watson. And then they were handing off to Jamal Murray. And then even Aaron Gordon would be out there. 
or even it just didn't feel like the Warriors were creating a ton of advantages running Steph around the perimeter and and having guys cut and dive. And then on the other side, the Nuggets, when Jokic and Murray are in the game, they're just always going to get an open look every time if they want to. So much of that two-men game is so special. Um, Murray finding KCP in the corner, uh, Michael Porter Jr. attacking in transition, Jokic getting fouled or kicking it out. Like just it, it, He makes the game look so, so easy. It's unbelievable. I think he's averaging like a 15-everything triple-double since the All-Star break, <laughs> like on three or four games. Oh my he's God. had two games now where he's been over 20 points, 15 rebounds, 15 assists, which needs to almost be its own statistical category, like name mm. for like the Jokic. Because yeah. I think he's now fourth all time in such a game. He just passed Magic Johnson, and I, I don't see how he's not going to end up number one by the end of his career. But just we're witnessing greatness. He's well on his way to potential all-time top 20 top 15 top 10 player status if he continues on this trajectory and it just reinforces that the nuggets are the team to beat in the west and shows some of the flaws that the warriors are still scuffling through that they faced last year and that they continue to face this year obviously denver's they're probably the team they match up the worst against but they are going to need chris paul back desperately and if you're relying on a 39 year old chris paul to carry your team through tough playoff stretches like even prime chris paul had his moments so um yeah just worried about the warriors and we'll keep an eye on him here down the stretch run they've certainly been hot and feel like you can bet on them to win you one or two play-in games just off the back of Steph. but the way they've played this season it feels hard to see them making it out of the first round and like the downswing is really here uh, I do think Jokic, especially um, just unstoppable uh, for a player like Draymond Green, like no one in the league has the size and the skill. Some guys have the size, some guys have the skill. Uh, I am really would love to see the Timberwolves versus Nuggets playoffs matchup uh, mm -hmm. just to see that Jokic go bare head to head one like running back from last year with the Timberwolves seeming to have figured things out. Mm, yep. I, I just don't see any team matching up with Jokic, but that is yeah. the beauty of the playoffs. This West playoff is going yeah. to be a gauntlet. It's going to be yeah. so fun. I, I mean, we were talking about the standings a little in the NHL, but the way it's kind of gone in the West right now, where you have like a top four tier, uh, all hovering within like two games of that number one spot. And then you have that like middle tier of all these killer teams who are either like veterans or were really good just shortly and like you and you have like what six teams like within like three games of each other who all fit that like in another year of the week league could have been uh contenders for the cup like it is fantastic and i'm so excited to see how it, that pans out yeah you got kings suns warriors lakers in the play-in right now absurd all right. Well, that is a great little basketball segment there. We'll finish up with some tennis talk. And I think Max is going to run to the end. So I just want to shout out that we got more sports around the corner. We got March <laughs> Madness. We got F1 starting on this weekend. We got Champions League and, and finish to a lot of the top soccer leagues in the world coming up. And spring training underway.
couple of Blue Jays games I caught a couple minutes of this weekend as well. So we'll be having a ton to talk about. Great time of the year as a sports fan. Looking forward to touching all that. It feels like the docket is just starting to overflow every week. Love it. I uh, can never get enough time to talk tennis, so we'll see what we can cover from what happened last week and what's coming up this week. I want to kick it off in Dubai. I led that set or pre ended that preview saying you could have three incredible tennis matches at this Masters 1000 event uh, featuring four of the top women in the world. None of those matches are coming to fruition. Arnie Sabalenka dropping out in the first round. Elena Rybakina uh, getting a gastro stomach bug and having to drop out before her, her quarterfinal match. And then big shout out to Anna Kalinskia, Kalinskaya, Kalinskia. Uh, for taking out Jelena Ostapenko, Coco Goff, and then Iga Swiatek in consecutive order to reach the finals. But the biggest congratulation goes to Jasmine Paulino from Italy, uh, who wins the whole dang thing. Uh, so a bit of a shakeup there to wrap up Dubai. Uh, less going on on the women's side. All four of those big names sitting out this week as they prepare for the Sunshine Double. On the men's side, uh, Carlos Alcaraz rolls his ankle, second point of his Rio uh, de Janeiro 500 appearance, and he has to pull out. Uh, so the tournament definitely loses a fair amount of hype uh, and transfers that hype over to Los Cabos, Mexico, where you had Alex Severo, Stefano Tsitsipas, Casper Ruud, Alex Dimonar all competing uh, in the 250 level event. None of them would win, however, with Jordan Thompson from Australia, not only winning the singles title uh, for his first career title over Casper Rudd in the finals, he also wins the doubles title, uh, which hasn't been done for about a year and a half since Kyrgios did it in Washington. Uh, so it's been a bit of a breakout start for Jordan Thompson, although the run has been coming and is not just isolated to 2024. And then uh, the last 250 event that happened last week was won by Karen Kachanov in Doha, Qatar. Uh, so our Middle East and Mexican 250 events turned into 500s this week. With Dubai happening, uh, Medvedev will attempt his first successful title defense yet again. I think I said last week he wouldn't be here, but he does have 500 points on the line. So a chance to try and hold on to some of those as he stays at the bottom of the top four of those ATP rankings. Uh, Alexander Andre Rublev. Oops. Uh, sits on the other side of the draw in the number two spot. Then in Mexico, a lot of repeats from Los Cabos. Uh, of course, Alex Diemenauer will be making a title defense, that uh, Acapulco title kind of what launched uh, the fray that's gotten him into the top 10. So we'll see what he can do to defend there. That's definitely the tournament I've got my eyes on this week. Uh, a lot of potentially really fun quarterfinals matches. And then on, it's funny, it felt like so many notes, but uh, <laughs> that's actually everything I wanted to cover. So are we going to wrap this one up earlier? Seems crazy to think, but we 
we crushed this these segments today we we talked what we wanted to talk i guess um tell me max one thing you're excited for this upcoming week in sports Ooh, it's definitely one of those uh acapulco matches but i need to look at the draw to remember them off the top of my head do you have anything to go about well uh next week i believe we've got our champions league and the week after uh my arsenal will be at home against porto after a heartbreaking 94th minute goal gave porto the one nothing lead on aggregates we are gonna have to come out and beat them by two at home um the statistics seem to favor us giving us a 77 percent chance to win but uh, they gave us a 59 percent chance to win in the first one and we saw mm-hmm. how that went so that'll be march 12th a couple of weeks from now uh but Next Tuesday, of course, Bayern Lazio, Real Sociedad, and PSG. It's going to be, and then the the Real Madrid RB Leipzig. Speaking of Real Madrid, one Alfonso Davies is rumored to be working on a deal to head that mm-hmm. way and join Kylian Mbappe, which would create Jeez. the fastest left wing on the planet with Mbappe, Vinny Jr., and Davies, uh, probably three of the 10 fastest players in the world, all playing on the same team. I just feel bad for the La Liga right backs, is all I can say. <laughs> and then a little baseball this weekend. Jays uh, lose a score fest to the Phillies in their first game of grapefruit action. Um, exciting to see the likes of Justin Turner, uh, Daniel Vogelback, uh, a couple newer bats added to the lineup, and and obviously evaluation period to see who's going to crack the roster, but always exciting in spring with a team like the Blue Jays who are still hopefully on the ascent uh, and seeing what guys like Bo and Vlad can do this summer is, is going to be really, really fun. All right. I mentioned Alex Dimonar making the title defense. Uh, I feel a little cursed every time I do this and call out a potential early matchup. Uh, they never seem to pan out. But if he and Stefano Tsitsipas are both to win their first two matches, they would meet in the quarterfinals. Stefano Tsitsipas looking to return to the ATP top 10. Alex Dimonar has never maybe only once beaten Tsitsipas. Uh, so that makes it a not too unlikely and really intriguing matchup that I'm hoping we'll get to see this week. Awesome stuff. Well, please let us know what you're excited for on this upcoming week of sports, and we'll uh, we'll regroup with you in the near future to talk about it then. I uh, hope everyone has a wonderful week and enjoys the increasingly warm weather we're getting close to spring and of course march madness for it comes with that spring which is maybe the pinnacle sporting event here in north america in the later month of march so yeah gonna be a busy month for all and um, thank you for joining us for the ride thanks for listening until next time sports next door signing out you get to the station there's this crazy sound hey man this ain't no fishing town Fishing, that ain't all.